Hello and welcome to our 25th Spool.ie podcast where we're looking back over the year in film with me Nigel and him Porrick. Hello. Here's Kim Kardashian's husband to kick things off. That was the music uh, Kanye West from Wolf of Wall Street. It came out right at the start, January. Uh, it was in the Oscar buzz as well. Both of us saw it in a packed out Savoy Cinema screen. It was on a Wednesday evening, yeah. yeah. I think it was the Irish first screening or some sort of preview thing. But yeah, and it was almost like being at a comedy gig in some way because it is. It's insanely entertaining. It's very funny, and a laugh would happen, and you could hear this like wall of laughter all around you. So that really kind of brought it all up. It's outrageous film in many regards you know the shenanigans they get up to um, yeah but it's brilliant fantastic performance from Leonardo DiCaprio yeah, you gave this five yeah. way back in uh, middle of January five scene of, five. of the year possibly as well for DiCaprio with uh, his levels of being on Quaaludes yeah it's fantastic um, who else was in it Jonah Hill Jonah and Hill. his teeth were the one thing that when I was thinking back on this um, and his fake penis <laughs> and his fake stretchy penis yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd actually forgotten about that. I mean, the big <laughs> horn rimmed glasses and everything. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it kicked the year off. Like, this was, wasn't it like two hours, 45 minutes, or 50 minutes? And so intense, so insane. Really divisive sort of film amongst, like, amongst a lot of reviewers. Like, a lot of people were left quite cold and thought, this yeah. is just too excessive. There's no angle to it. But um, it's kind of, it is what it is. And it portrayed yeah. the, the time as it was. And the guy who wrote the book that it's based on, or the true story, was like, yeah, that was pretty much it. And it was a bit worse even, you know, that you couldn't put some stuff in it. Um, yeah, I thought it was fantastic. Another Martin Scorsese, brilliant. Kind of classic motifs from him, voiceovers, freeze yeah. frames. You earlier Fantastic this, soundtrack. Yeah, and earlier this year you kind of challenged me to come up with directors who've actually got stayed consistently good. What was that thing where I managed to give you five anyway? Um, oh yeah, I was. I think maybe, was it Quentin Tarantino? Because he was saying something that... Uh, oh, he was going to retire. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, yeah, because there's very few directors that have stayed consistent in their latter years yeah Scorsese continues to knock my socks off like I actually think his lull was like all that era with um, Last Temptation of Christ and kind of wasn't like he did a color, the, like the color of money, kind of, and then, but then from 1990 onward, do you want me to give me a quick? I'll just run through these very quick because I printed them out. Goodfellas, Cape Fear, Casino, uh, Bringing Out the Dead. Oh, that's very good. It's very yeah. I'd need to revisit it. Yeah, because, it's great but, black comedy. And then Gangs of New York is something. The, well, I actually look back fondly on Gangs of New York, but I know everyone kind of hated that. Yeah, um, and if we saw it now, we wouldn't like yeah. it. We run likewise age. with the Aviator. Where oh, yeah. you can actually view it now as a big epic, but like I, I would have to chain you to a seat if I said we'll go and watch The Aviator now. Yeah, like it'd take a bit of convincing. But then since then we've had the Bob Dylan documentary No Direction Home, The Departed, Shutter Island, uh, Hugo, and Wolf of Wall Street. Um, so I don't know. His next film apparently is The Fifty Year Argument, which is a documentary uh, about the history of the New York Review of Books. So that doesn't really feel like he's kind of pushing oh, himself. Right. Okay. But he's always enjoyed going down yeah. the documentary route. But I think it's often mooted that he'll do a film about Frank Sinatra or the Rat Pack or something with DiCaprio playing Frank. Yeah. 
it's kind of always in the scene. Yeah, so I suppose January is our, you know, you always have a thing when you come to end of year lists or stuff, um, where this come out in America. So it almost feels, and it come out so early, you almost feel it was last year. So some other films like that were 12 Years a Slave. Um... Inside Lewin Davis. Inside Lewin Davis. And, um, like, her, they're, and they're all, all in the, they're in the, like, when we look now at New York Times kind of lists, uh, or New Yorker lists of films of the year, yeah. there's lots popping up. And I deliberately blank them out because I, I find it too hard. Like, I, mm-hmm. I lived abroad for a while where I was getting to see these films in November and December and the first couple of weeks in January, whereas here, you have to wait months, you know? Now, things are improving. Like, years ago, I still remember Jadif at the end of February used to be the big, uh, reveal for loads of these projects and um, you get to see like I think I saw um, oh, Daniel Day-Lewis the um, Paul Thomas Anderson film I haven't Lincoln? meant to look no Paul Thomas Anderson about the oil uh, there will be blood there will be blood yeah, yeah I think that was about three months delay but like J-Diff doesn't have that anymore so stuff is getting earlier yeah. and earlier and uh-huh. they realise with the Oscar screeners just getting leaked and everything that stuff has to come out but um, another one from January then that uh, launched at the, I think it was the Digital Biscuit uh, event which is kind of a, an industry event for filmmakers was Inside Lewin Davis um, it might take a little tiny bit of music from this what we're doing in this podcast we figure rather than clips is just take a few little bits of music to provide a bit of backing for us because in many ways we don't do this through the year we look at scenes and we we view characters and all that whereas i don't know the musical motifs and songs gonna stick with me a bit more so this is um oscar isaac and marcus mumford if i had wings like noah's dove i'd fly the river to the one i love oh fare thee well my honey, fare thee well. I had a man. So that um, was Inside Lou and Davis, the Coen Brothers film, which was um, sort of loosely based on Dave Van Ronk, the folk singer's kind of life and career, and starred Oscar Isaac soon to appear in, in uh, Star Wars. He got his character name during the week can't remember what it was Poe I think Poe yeah Poo that one yeah. but um, Inside Lewin Davis as far as I can remember didn't win any Oscars it was pretty much snubbed completely with uh, with it everything it's number. It's in my top 10 you'll see accompanying this podcast there's also a post on spool.ie and um, Inside Lewin Davis I've dropped in as my second favourite film of the year it was kind of like for me a classic return to form for the Coen brothers in that it had that their signature oddity like you have the whole character of John Goodman and the mini road trip and a lot of that doesn't really make sense. It's kind of going back to the odd wee bits in Miller's Cross and on Fargo and stuff. So Yeah, I felt it was a great year because even F- Fargo, the TV series, was full of weird stuff. And the Coen brothers sort of executive produced it, kept an eye over it. I don't think they were actively involved. But for me, that really made me connect again with... Cause, and I also, Fargo was re-released or played in 35mm yeah. at the beginning of the year. So I felt a lovely affinity to the Coen brothers this year. It also helped that Inside Lewin Davis had that concert film which oh, is yeah, well worth looking out. at. I think it might be on Netflix. Um, played for about two days in the Lighthouse Cinema. Um, can't remember what it was called. But yeah, all the T-Bone Burnett uh, stuff and Oscar Isaac performance. And so it's also, if you love Inside Lewin Davis, it's a lovely accompanying thing to it. Um, but uh, yeah, 12 Years a Slave is in none of our lists, I meant to add. No, like I think we gave it, I would have given it five. I think you reviewed yeah, it and gave it like four and a half. But it feels like it's fantastic. But for me, the whole argument sometimes coming to end of year is the film that you would watch again and again, or 
because like sometimes there's some films in mine that I mightn't have reviewed that highly, but they've kind of stuck with me. Yeah. Oh yeah, and that it, that we should like you could just auto-generate our top fives and top tens and for Based a lot of people rating, yeah. but really and I, I push this to everyone who makes a list or anything like it's easier to just kind of step back and think well what's the one like in five ten years that you're going to want to push or that you remember where you yeah. were when you saw it yeah exactly you know? so um, we'll do a quick Oscars cap because uh Sometimes, Recap. yeah, yes. you kind of figure, oh, what won that? I was at a table quiz during the week, and they were like, what won Best Picture? And yeah. Mr. Film Buff here, everyone looks at him, and I'm like, um, give me a second. I just need to confirm this in my brain. So, right, are you going to So, you, you knew what that, you got that correct. I did get that correct. Best Picture was 12 Years a Slave. Best Actress. Um, best Actress. Woody Allen film? Oh, Cape Blanchett, Blue Jasmine. Yeah. That also. Best yeah. Director. Best director was Alfonso Cuaron, wasn't it? Because yeah. they were splitting it. And best actor and best supporting actor. Football. Oh, Dallas Buyers Club. Yeah, McConaughey and Jared oh, the Leto. Dallas Cowboys, yeah. Yeah, and then the best I'll have to edit out that long silence here and make it seem like <laughs> Dallas Buyers Club. Yeah, again, it's very hard. It's such... It takes over your brain for months and months and yeah. months and then... You, you just forget. You already we're starting to get the buzz of Oscar. And what was supporting actress? Do you have it? No. And uh, Peter Longo. Oh, yeah. Who everyone... She's in Star Wars as well, isn't she? And then she had that amazing uh, moment to, with Liam Neeson in the plane. Can you remember the name of that Liam Neeson film? Something uh, like Airplane on... End of Watch or Watch... Um, no. No, having a clue. Non-stop. Ah. But like, classic. We we saw The Hobbit yesterday. There was three Liam Neeson And um, we had a Taken. Show, taken 3 as a film. I didn't really yeah, realise this I and got a trailer. the trailer for that. I clocked the poster for that and I was like, all oh, right, I didn't know they were doing that. Cool. Yeah, we also got the Star Wars. To see the Star Wars trailer in IMAX was kind of nice. We were sort of like, I've already seen this loads. Brilliant. Um, okay, so I might actually go see the new Lord of the Rings just to see the Star Wars trailer. For a reason, yeah. Um... But yeah, as I say, like it happens, it happens every year. Her was another film. I think Spike Jones won the um, won the screenplay. Did he? Who he knows? Did. Yeah, yeah, sorry. And then best foreign film was The Great Beauty. Yeah. Oh yeah, I never saw The Great Beauty. Um, but yeah, her is, is top of my list for the whole year. Again, it feels difficult because it feels like it's from a different time. But I rewatched it last week, and um, it's really, really stuck with me um a lot. Uh, Good year for Scarlet. It was a very good year for Scarlet, but the thing, like her, I don't know, it was, he, he had done, like, Spike Jones was adaptation in 02, and then hadn't done anything until 09, is that right? Where the wild things are, I was trying to think back. Oh, possibly, Where yeah. there's a big, huge gap. Um, yeah, her is my favourite film of the year by, and I, it took a long time to kind of come up with that, but um, the way, it's a fantastic look at where we're kind of going as a society with the way dating apps and technology and artificial intelligence is kind of driving us around a little bit and it takes a lot to kind of just step back and look and admire the world like there's so many beautiful scenes in it where um theodore played by joaquin phoenix is just kind of walking around he's staring at the phone and like he's in beautiful kind of settings but he's oblivious to it all like he's in beaches and everything and um, for me i just couldn't get on board with the premise like the whole time i was watching the film i was like this is just daft i felt it made me feel really old like my parents yeah i remember when dad watched the matrix I made him watch it on DVD and he was just like just Didn't a click. bunch of cowboys and aliens with some mumbo jumbo but, thrown in. Yeah. And I felt like that with her. I was just like, this is just a bit daft. And it looked fantastic. Performances were good. and But we're not that far away from it. Like, I mean, I can take out my phone here and I can be like, okay, Google, is it, is it going to rain tomorrow? Should I bring my umbrella? And it'll be like, 
Um, oh, the weather in Dublin is like this. And like, it's stage but one. But you're not going to fall in love with that Google I'm voice. not going to fall in love with it, but I'm also like, like Inside Lewin Davis, her is a film just about like desperate loneliness and feeling like, you know, that you're kind of like Lewin Davis and Theodore aren't the same thing, but they're both been rejected by people and they're both trying to put things together in their own kind of way. And um, so there's something that you really need to tell us. No? no, I just really connected with that where they kind of relate then to technology. And but like it goes beyond where we're all like social media, yeah, social media, like pushing out, like talking about yourself. This is about an isolated kind of way of using technology where yeah. Theodore and Samantha, voiced by Scarlett Johansson, go off on their own little world. And there's an absolutely heartbreaking bit at the end when he starts to um to find out where where he's like and are you an os for anyone else and she comes back and um i just want to find the number because i i had it here where the line something was like 13 million or something like yeah she was like so this is the line from the plot summary theodore asks her if she interacts with anyone else and is dismayed when f- she confirms that she's talking with 8316 others and that she has fallen in love with 641 of them she insists that this does not change her love for Theodore, but rather makes it stronger. So I don't know. I just find that mind-blowing. And like a lot of films this year, like we saw it in Lucy, also Scarlett Johansson, yep. and we saw it in Interstellar a little bit, and Transcendence, the the, the, the atrocious Wally Pfister yeah, movie, yeah. all about this idea of artificial intelligence t- being taken to the next level. Stephen Hawking starting to eat itself. Artificial intelligence. He came out yeah. a week or two ago saying he thinks it's eventually going to take over everything. Yeah, Terminator. We got a new trailer last week, so it's oh, terrible. Um, um, so yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I just connected with it on a lot of levels. I saw it. Um, I saw it. Well, I think I saw it by myself, and it just all clicked, and everything. It just swept me away, and then I hadn't watched it or really thought about it too much through the year, and then went back to it last week, just when I was kind of trying to work out, well, fuck, I put this on the top because yeah. it got snubbed by a lot of things and did well review wise, but yeah, not phenomenal, didn't really not really many awards. awards and stuff, but yeah. um, beautiful. And I also it also kickstarts one of our um, the conversation on one of our women of the year, Scarlett Johansson, who mm-hmm. has had a phenomenal year. Amazing year. Um, Will we move on then uh, into the month of uh, March? We're kind of more into springtime. Yeah, the only thing from January and February was uh, Nymphomaniac came out. There was such fanfare about that and the levels of uh, sexual explicitness in it. But I kind of went to see it as a double feature. I think it was five hours maybe in uh, The Lighthouse. Charlotte Gainsbourg was our uh, cover woman for February. February. Every month we do the What's Worth Watching, we get a woman. So her... Having a bit of a sex face was for February. But, but it was just an awful mess of a film. It's far too long. Mm. If you had have edited it into one, you kind of had some interest. It's shown points. up on a few worsts of the year. Or maybe not necessarily worst, but like most disappointing. Disappointing, yeah. Yeah, um, Yeah. so March, carrying on from the Scarlett Johansson, is under the skin. It was the Jonathan. And Captain America. So ah. she had... She had two. She, and she just had uh, her come out. But yeah. Uh, Jonathan Glazer directed Under the Skin, fantastic film. Got to see it in the film festival, but it came out and. Will we take a bit of music March. from it? Yeah, go for set it. A, set a bit of tone. So now we've left behind the Oscars and now we're getting weird into yeah. spring. Yeah, so that was under the skin. You can hear the music kind of playing in the background. Um, oh, it just blew me away visually. Producer it was Colin, who's not with us um, today, 
um, is he's not dead. Is that going to be his film of the year? Uh, it's one of his films of the year, but he has the he bought the soundtrack for it. Um, be quite a hard soundtrack to listen to. It's very eerie, and you know, yeah. you wouldn't want to be eating your dinner sitting and listen to it. Yeah, where yes. is it? I, I love we're scrambling to our notes here. Yeah. Um, Mika Mika Levy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an amazing soundtrack, and it, it recalls a lot of films like Two Thousand One: A Space Odyssey, and then we watched The Man Who Fell to Earth because of it. Um, the David Bowie film that was one of our yes rewatch with spools. Um, yeah, so incredibly eerie, kind of a bit divisive sometimes in its portrayal of women. You know, was it a victim piece or... Or a revenge thriller, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. You saw it, did you like it as much? I saw it, so I talked about this at the time, that Under the Skin is one of my favourite cinema experiences of the year, because uh-huh. I was a little little bit, like, exhausted, like, my physically really, really tired. It was a late night, 10 or 11pm screening, so I had had a beer or two, so I drifted in and out, and I just, I don't know if I sat down and watched that film now, what my experience of it would be, but I was terrified, I was thrilled, I was excited... It was, it was like incredible filmmaking. Like you know the to go into TV for a second. Love hate. Yes. The Scottish undercover agent in the most recent season. Yeah. He's an under the skin. Is he? He's the guy who goes poof. He had very little to do in Love Hate this year, but um, I think it's because he's quite a bad actor. But <laughs> anyway, yeah. So that was kind of one of my films of the year. It's number two in my top ten. Yeah, um, I think I saw that on St Patrick's Day. Really enough, anyway. Also coming out March April time, the Grand Budapest Hotel, Wes Anderson. It kind of Critically, it brought him back into the fold because I suppose Moonrise Kingdom people liked it, but they kind of turned him for Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah. But I wasn't too sure what was so different about Budapest that brought him in. I think it's his most adult film. It's quite violent when I was watching it. I was like, it didn't feel as like whimsical. I'm going to watch it again over Christmas. I'm looking forward to um, to sitting down with it because, um, yeah, I was ex- I enjoyed it. But I remember it's brilliant. It's all about Ralph. Yeah, uh, Ray Fine, sorry. Yeah, and Tilda Swilton also stars in that. Yeah, and Love. she had been in Only Lovers Left Alive the months before. Um. Oh yeah, was yeah. that out? And f- Only Lovers Left Alive played at Jadif, and probably the best film to play at that festival. I think yeah. this year. Um, it's in my list as well. Uh, really, 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 really good. Um, Tilda Swinton had an enjoyable year as well. She was also in Snowpiercer, which is a film that I loved that I'm not allowed to watch because or allowed to talk about because it hasn't come out in the cinema. So um. Yeah, and shows no signs. Of there was so. two um, Irish films coming out this time of the year as well: The Stag, which is terrible, and Calvary, which starred Don Gleeson and is getting a bit Oscar buzz that he might. Brendan Gleeson. Sorry, Brendan Gleeson. Getting the Gleeson's get mixed up. They'll yeah. sue you for that. And again, famously this year, John Michael McDonough, a bit of audio from him where he said, "It's not an Irish film. It's all Irish films are terrible." Yeah, he took he took. Exception Umbridge. to the phrase Irish film because he was thinking it was more like um, Waking Ned and he felt that the early, something that the term I- Irish film yeah. meant something very different. It was when a very it's strange set thing to say. Sligo stars an old Irish cast. Yeah. And he's, uh, you know, Irish parents. So he was born yeah. in England or something. With, a, cer- with like a large like amount of funding from by, Irish yes. film boards and all yeah. that. So I think he was probably, I would say, lost in translation. Like, <laughs> he did the interview in English. And he had a point in that. If you go and tell your your mum and dad, oh, it's an Irish film, they yeah. they're or younger people wouldn't maybe you think of something very different. Whereas we shouldn't do it. I don't think they do it in Britain, or they don't do it certainly in France or anything like that. Where this is a film, it just is a film that happens to be in the native. But then you have the classic example of an Irish film, which was The Stag, which was terribly written, not funny, quite badly acted. Yeah, and then so you do have you can kind of see where he's coming from in that regard. And as well. G- yeah, like Jimmy's Hall and A Nightingale Falling, and some of these are what I ca- I always 
put them down as like the diddly eye kind of let's trade up on the Irish thing and yeah it's a bit of a worry we have a, we had a feature out during the week where we kind of ranked um all the Irish films of the year so it's worth kind of looking in the ones that stand out to me um of of the ones that got released because unfortunately two that uh, I saw at Galway Glassland and Patrick's Day uh, unfortunately haven't come out yet but both due in 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 early 2004 Q1 yeah, 2015 and heading off to Sundance Sundance which is huge that's an amazing film looking mm. forward to you getting to see that and having a chat about them um, but yeah One Million Dubliners which we'll talk about maybe l- towards later, the end of the yeah. yeah is probably top of the of my kind of Irish film uh, for the year I think don't yeah. know um, yeah We Are The Best also come out in this kind of period I saw it in April again so by myself can I take a bit of music from We Are The Best yeah liven it up a bit Yeah, so you can hear in the background there, it's KSMB, uh, Sex Nolte Fa, which I have no idea what that means. But We Are The Best was about three young girls living in Stockholm in the 80s who decided to set up a punk band. And they wanted to use a local community hall and everybody was telling them punk is dead. And they were like, no, we're going to keep going. And I just thought it was fantastic. Uh, yeah, directed by Lucas Moodyson. Yeah. Um, uh I saw this during the summer, so I missed it when it was in the cinema, and I think it was one it won an award at JDIF as well. Yeah, and um, features in the Irish Times end of year list as is well. Is it in the end of year? Yeah. So I just loved it. It was really good, kind of like I know they're a bit younger; they're only entering into teenhood, but it's a real kind of teenage film, almost kind of coming of the age. And the characters are brilliant, and um, a fantastic dad in it. It was very funny. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's just it's really sweet and it's lovely and, and reinforces the uh, idea that I have that nowhere looks as good on screen as Scandinavia. Um, I don't think you can kind of yeah you can beat it. it. It looked a little bit at times reminded me of Let the Right One In. I don't know if I'm being really simple, but just have shown yeah. teens kind of in cold weather wearing cool jumpers. Um, yeah, very good. Uh, anything else from that kind of March April you want to talk about? Um, the Raid 2 came out at that time, which was kind of initially looking very excited to it because the Raid 1 was fantastic, but it just was very, I thought, violence for the sake of violence and just too It was like as the if they, they put together a genre film in, like, in some sort of factory where they were just like, let's put all the elements in, let's kind of turn them up to 11 and just sort of generate it. The Raid 2 was, has fantastic set pieces, but lacked the... The kind of concise sort of DIY. It felt yeah. The first one was so perfect. It's like it's like just a computer game A to B. Whereas with this, they decided to create a really convoluted, multi-layered, yeah, plot. undercover. We also like had probably the most unusual it. cinema experience of the year at the Raid Two, where we went to it in Cineworld World one evening, and they had a problem with the so. Like it's really interesting when the way we watch films now in cinemas has changed hugely, as we know, digital projection. But they're digital files that are hard coded that don't have hard-coded subtitles on them. So you will be sent a file from somewhere and the subtitles mightn't be there. And this allows the cinema then to um, change it to audio description subtitles if they want. And it's all from the one print that they've bought and everything. And they just put, put whatever subtitles they want on it. Um, and so what we got on the evening was the film was there and had no subtitles. And when you're watching... It started like three times, I think, they got it going. And yeah. it was hilarious because there's quite a violent scene at the start. Yeah. Where and somebody you don't really plays know, gets like, their head blown off. Yeah, and, and we saw it three times. Yeah, and you're just like, oh, It God. started about 50 minutes later than it should have anyway. And um, 
that I think put everyone in a bad mood anyway. And the film is, is really long. Very well. long, yeah. Um, but it just, cinemas need to bloody well have these things worked out because in the olden days, the print would have arrived, the subs would have been on it and okay, it might have been a bit blurry or a bit chopped off or a bit squished, but you need to need to get your subtitles in order. Come on. Yeah. You know, Sorry about Cine World. Come on, Cine World, yeah. Um, yeah, so that was April. April also had one of the first sort of disappointing blockbusters of the year. Now, when I think back on it, I don't remember anything of it, um, which was uh, The Amazing Spider-Man 2. And I was like... Oh, terrible, yeah. Jamie Foxx and kind of suffered from the too many bad guys. It really and did. Because like, brought in the Green Goblin, I think, in the second one with... Um, uh, so Dane... De- well, Dane DeHaan. Oh, Dane DeHaan, Dane DeHaan sorry. sorry. Yeah. 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 So Mr. Burns and you stuff, kinda, Dane DeHaan. All this stuff kicked off with Jamie Foxx and then you're like, oh, there still has to be the Green Goblin stuff. And yeah. you're just like, who cares? And they chuck in Paul Giamatti as the rhino at the end. And like it, it, I, the thing that they nailed with these films was the relationship between Peter and Gwen Stacy. And, you know, that was really cool, but they've killed her now. So now they have to start again um, with uh, what's her face from Diver- uh, Divergent and The Fault in Our Stars as uh, Ma- Mary Jane. Oh, okay. You know who I'm talking about? Yeah. Shailene Woodley. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, she will now... She was meant to be in this one, and I think they realised, oh, we can't really introduce the new love interest because the Gwen and Peter thing was so strong. Mm, and they actually... Good. I think they had done that brilliantly because they followed that nicely, paying tribute to the way the comic books did it. And, you know, Gwen's death is something you can spend ages reading about on Wikipedia if you want. But, but that feels like... But they messed those... it up with the villains. Like, yeah. you didn't need any villains. Like, one... Where one... you would think studios or producers stepped in being like... Because you more. could almost have that as a love story between the two of them sneaking a bit of the Green Goblin. It was like, no, you need more. Yeah, but that's what killed the first Spider-Man trilogy. Like, Spider-Man 3 was just, let's chuck them all in. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a great... Uh, April, things sort of start to dry up a little bit. Locke was another film that if you're looking for something on Netflix to watch over Christmas, I think it's on Netflix. Uh, Tom Hardy drives around in a car, and it's just him talking to Andrew Scott, who was also in The Stag. Yeah, it kind of went under the radar, but it's got... under the radar. It's been in a few lists, I yeah, think, I've though. Yeah, started to notice, It's just yeah. him on voice style. Like, it's such an unusual narrative structure like it's uh, just a, a close to real time a two-hour journey as a man drives from one place to another and you get little hints of everything um but beautifully shot uh, just as a little it's not i don't think it's in my top 10 it's probably not going to be in too many but as a little yeah. kind of aside and a recommendation um i definitely recommend it um we'll take a bit of music for something in may then this is a film that you um have kind of promoted a lot and it's not shown up in too much i think it was in our uh our contributor David Turpin's list as well, Maleficent. Will we play a bit of from this? Do you want to introduce it? Uh, so this is Lana Del Rey, who I think is quite underrated, or maybe not. People seem to love her, hate her, because they think she's a bit of a manufactured pop, but she can sing and her songs are brilliant. Her first album is fantastic. Um, Yeah, so this is her singing I Remember When, I think, uh, from Maleficent. Okay. 
So that was, uh, you can hear kind of still going on in the background, Maleficent. Um, I thought it was a brilliant start, Angelina Jolie. It was kind of a re... The spoiled brat, Angelina Jolie. Yeah, it came out there in the emails. Nasty, nasty never stuff. Never write anything in emails. I no. hope my spool emails never come out. Like, it's going to be so <laughs> catty. You know? The outtakes from this podcast alone. Um, they could ruin us. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's kind of like a reimagining of the Sleeping Beauty story where Angelina Jolie was originally a fairy. She kind of gets screwed over by a king from the local kingship or townland and then kind of turns into this horrible character Maleficent that we know from the original film but it's just kind of I just thought it was brilliant it looks fantastic it's really dark and Angelina Jolie's fantastic and she's incredibly you know evil and menaceful and yet there's great like sensuality to the role as well and she's also very human like it's you can see the tragedy of how she became who she yeah so it turns into did you see this at all um, I did I saw this one one morning kind of it was one of those classic killing time films in my head beforehand and I was like ah sure go in and check this out just because it was one of the first one of the first big blockbusters of the year as well coming out in May and um, yeah did it come out in May I think it did maybe it did, a- yes. or April I don't know um, but yeah no well worth it um, another one to kind of I remember uh, you reviewed it, Blue Ruin, um, which got a bit of a uh, bit of love. Revenge uh, thriller. Yeah, revenge thriller from Jeremy Saulnier, who I don't know. Did we know who he, who he was or something? I was trying to work out as a filmmaker whether he'd done something else of note. But um, yeah, I I remember this like as a genre kind of. There's a few films that have cropped into our ten list just as like really solid like thrillers, revenge thriller genre kind of films. Um, it, this, maybe The Guest, Cheap Thrills, stuff that you'll actually look back on as a solid... Example. Like they're so. the kind of films you'll maybe come back to on like on a Friday night in yeah. a couple of years' time. Um, so We yeah. also had X-Men Days of Future Past, which was very good. It was Brian Singer returning back to... This actually worked. So talking about the idea of chucking everything in, like with the kitchen sink, this attempted that but managed to do it. Yeah, I think because it's a really he really solid story. Yeah, and I think he retained control over it and um, managed to be like, well, no, I know these characters better than anything. But um, he did really well. Managed to merge two worlds, br- create the old traditional X Men who we all sort of fell in love with ten years ago. The, the Hugh Jackman, um, Halle Berry, Anna Paquin was in it for yeah. a minute. Um, uh, and then obviously Magneto, or, or and then Ian McKellen, Patrick Stewart, yeah. and then they brought in the two new ones. So yeah. it's also very funny. Yeah, um, there was some great humor in it. Hugh Jackman. It's kind of he seems to almost be the main character who ties it all together. Yeah. Um, we had a couple of Irish films out at this time as well. Mrs. Brown's Boys the movie came out at this time of the year. Kind that was of June. May, June. Yeah. Yeah. We had Jimmy's Hall, which I think might be our contender for the worst film of the year. Just yeah, unfortunately I didn't see it, so... Very bad. But it kind of... It was one of those classic things where I think reviews were like, oh, it's Irish, so we'll give it an extra star anyway, you know, just to promote it. And it was Ken Loach in his last, like, film, um, film. Yeah, but, like, it's grand, you know. It's just, oh, I thought the acting was terrible. And he did that thing where he got um, younger, um, kind of unknown art actors to play the kids and stuff. And when you're on the big screen and blowing up that much, you're like, it yeah. just becomes so obvious that they can't act. And know? Nightingale Fallen had that issue as well. Like, it was a really low budget thing, though. There's a difference that they did made the most and got local people. And it was actually quite... Um, it, it nearly did the job. Like, it stands out. Like, this is the actual actress who has done theatre and everything. But then yeah. when people... It's a very difficult thing to integrate kind of amateur... 
um, performances into everything else. And when it works, it can work really well. But I think you have to get people, like remember they did it in, um, what was that film? The uh, Nick Cage, um, Chopping Down the Trees. Joe. Joe. Was Joe this year? I think it, it was. was. Yeah, it came out July, August time. In July, okay. So, yeah. but like, remember all his uh, colleagues and co workers were all. Yeah, because the father the kind of was an actually that, yeah. a homeless person who. Yeah, so, th so that was David Gordon Green's film, I think. And that was yeah. really, really good. Um, yeah, we. I, one thing I think you saw it in June, um, which um, is a difficult one to work out, and it sort of has broken our own rules, but I watched as well the documentary uh, Battered Bastards of Baseball. Yes. That was kind of a summer documentary, a summer find that you had. Um, it was fantastic. It was only on Netflix, and it's, it's by... It tells the story of Bing Russell, who is Kurt Russell's father, and he was like a a bit part actor, as want of a better term for bonanza, and like when they made a Western a week kind of thing. And he then just decided to up sticks and moved to Portland and buy a baseball club amateur called the Portland Mavericks. And it's a real kind of oh, that American, if you try hard enough, you can do well. And yeah. just he, he had a fair bit of money, as, yeah, as well. Like that, his. It was really interesting though to wait to see the way the teams are put together. That like, you have obviously the major leagues that we know, we yeah. understand like the Premier League equivalent, but below that, it's really hard to have a baseball team. Yeah. In a city like the way you and I could set up a football a soccer team yeah. and put it across the road there, like it might take us a, a little while to be accepted into the league. We'd have to get yeah. good enough, but you can set up a team. You can get promoted. You can get promoted. You can get promoted. Yeah. And then you're there. Whereas in America, they have these. This really interesting thing, the radius of like a franchise. So um, they explain it really well in the film where it's like you buy the franchise and from 90 miles from the center of home plate, um, you can't have another team. Yeah. And what kept, what kept happening to the Portland uh, Mavericks was any time they would progress to a certain point, the team they were playing would take all their big stars from the major leagues and suddenly have them playing on their team just to kind of blow them out. But it was a I real know that was heartbreaking. They did an amazing yeah. was it 1977 season yeah. where they were playing, I can't remember, the Baltimore something. Yeah, and it was a real kind of that one of the first Asian players on the team, uh, one of the first women kind of managers in the background kind of. Yeah, and they all seemed to just have a laugh. like. Yeah, and, cause it, and they were like kind of washed up and has-beens from who tried in other baseball teams and he just put out an open call and got them in. I just thought it was fantastic and it's kind of perfect documentary, great story. And I saw so few, yeah. I saw so few documentaries this year that actually stuck with me at all. Like that, it didn't feel like a great year for documentary. And this didn't come out in the cinema. This showed up on Netflix, and like mm -hmm. Netflix, I think funded it yeah. and everything. And like they also, they had an Oscar nomination for uh, a film about uh, the revolution in Egypt, the Square. I think it is, and they're in the mix again for next year. So like, you know, we we can be a bit snobby with oh, it has to be in the cinema for for it to be legit, but that isn't yeah. really the case anymore. At that and it was very much a talking head thing. But what set it apart was that the people were so passionate and they had so much love for Bing, yeah, and for what he brought to Portland. That great archive footage as well, yeah, brilliantly restored. Yeah, stuff is remarkable that they have all that from yeah. when it is just kind of a minor league thing. And it's fantastic, but really good. Um, yeah. So that was like June. We had the World Cup, which was um an. <laughs> a quad annual uh, sports tournament that takes place yeah. and so that means the release schedules go a bit bonkers and it meant the blockbusters got pushed a little bit back a bit so in um in july we saw dawn of the planet of the apes which is one of uh, producer collins favorite films of the year and incredibly solid uh piece of work's not in my list but um it's fairly good but the one we're going to take a bit of music from was the film as far as i know the highest 
the most profitable film of the year in America. I'll double check that. Let's play a bit of music. Here is Come and Get Your Love. best thing about Guardians of the Galaxy is probably the soundtrack. There's plenty of laughs, the music is brilliantly integrated into it, um, where uh, he has a mixtape, and uh, what was it? Oh, what was it? I can't remember awesome his name. Awesome mixtape. Yeah, is it the awesome mixtape? And yeah. then this became the number one thing um, on iTunes, like awesome mixtape. Um, so it's good. Peter Quill, played by Chris Pratt, who had a very good year, lost loads of weight. Um, from his Park and Rec. From time. Parks and Rec, where he plays Andy. Um, he was in Her as well, but... Uh, yeah, he's good that. in it, and everything. This is a really solid film, but to me, it didn't feel like it fitted in in the bigger picture of Marvel films because okay. it just was too too much of a laugh. Yeah, and Bradley Cooper is fantastic, and he voices uh, the wee Foxy Rocket. Rocket. I thought he was hilarious, and he's good fun with Groot and um, the big wrestler guy, Dave Bautista, who's yeah. in the new James Bond film. Yeah, which is hilarious. He revealed that like he had the ultimate kind of thing of not understanding. Um, uh, like subtext or nuance in language and all that so he's just so literal so very very funny and Zoe Saldana is very clever in it but Zoe Saldana is really only like token kind of female kind token of. female eye candy whereas the great thing with my favourite of the big uh, Marvel films of the year Captain America The, uh, the Winter Soldier um, was that Scarlett Johansson there's no romantic thing there she is a kicks ass and she's yeah. an independent person and everything so um, but yeah it was it was a good it was a good kind of summer, I think, for blockbusters between it and Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and stuff like that. Also had the usual terminus of Transformers. Yeah, and, and the Expendables, but it's... Yeah, yeah the Expendables 3. We also Don't bitch out on me. Don't bitch out on me. <laughs> Come back here. Uh, we had Inbetweeners 2 as well, which had a terrible start and a terrible end. 22 Jump Street, actually. But yeah, maybe middle, my, my angle for blockbusters has been okay. Was good. Yeah, I don't know. It like it was. It was. It was decent. Like with you had X Men, um, Guardians of the Galaxy, and the one you were talking about there, Winter Soldier. were all pretty solid. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is almost like that blockbuster as well. Yeah. The funny thing with Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, where it was almost like, do you need the humans in it at all at this point? It was no. more interesting. Like if you look at the development, the, the father son relationship between the apes compared to the father-son relationship between the humans, yeah. the apes was much more well-developed. Isn't that interesting, though, that they obviously were able to sit down and um, create like create characters based around kind of just animation and, and build yeah. build the world kind of that way and it'd be so successful compared to then what they do with the actors where they're like, 
whatever. Yeah. So, um, well worth seeing. We forgot. Um, well, that's anyway, that's the that's the blockbusters. It was notable, but yeah, we, you know, they're always enjoyable and that. But one of your yeah. favorites did that? Uh, yeah, it came out. It's in your list. The Edge of Tomorrow. Yes, with uh, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise, absolutely, and Emily Blunt. Great fun. Yeah, uh, you were kind of you really remembered that Tom Cruise has a sense of humor and can do comedy. Yeah, and that also was probably the most surprising. You know, yeah. people talk about most disappointing, most surprising. Um, I was just I was blown away that it was actually so solid and fantastic story. I think it quite did quite badly box office wise because I was like, this is supposed to be the best Tom Cruise film in years. Yeah, but, but he didn't even, perform. He did the Jack Reacher film two year, or, yeah, coming up to two years ago, and I actually had quite a lot of time for it. So Doug Lyman did Edge of Tomorrow, who had done kind of the Bourne film, so he could do action. But Christopher McQuarrie, who'd worked with Brian Singer on like The Usual Suspects and um, a few other things like that, who's a good screenwriter, wrote it. And I think it's all about the writing for Edge of Tomorrow. Like, the action is great, but because it's doing the time jump thing where he relives stuff and so many times, and I don't know, just really, really clever. And if anyone hasn't seen it and is looking for the, like something to kind of... Oh, totally, up, yeah. Yeah. Um, we're going to take a bit of a... We'll leave the blockbusters to one side a bit for the summer. The summer also manages to kind of bring out a few huge independent films that also um, so we're going to take on three but to bring us into that we're going to let Coldplay and Chris Martin pick these up What an amazing album. I know we're not a music podcast, but Parachutes. Very good. Yeah. This, I remember, this is a transition year album for me. Um, All right. Because I just remember having it on a tape, genuinely. This um, is the year of Chris year 2000. Gwyneth Paltrow this year that will have a conscious uncoupling. Is that the phrase they used? Um, I I don't know. I, I think don't, so. There's your gossip trade on there. Yeah, well, we, we had a bit of Kanye West to kick us off, and I didn't even mention Kim Kardashian's bum. The photo. So. Yeah, we won't, uh, we won't go that route. But um, yeah, Yellow was one of the songs, as everyone knows, um, in Boyhood, the Richard Linklater film that came out in the summer and is getting Oscar or it's getting Oscar buzz and conversations about uh, lots of things. Um, you know, awards considerations in the mix and also did brilliant things in the summer. Got standout things. His Empire's film of the year, Sight and Sound's film of the year. But there's and a no, bit no of doubt we'll probably get some Oscar talk. You'd hope so. Richard Linklater has never gotten a director nod, okay. as far as I know. He's gotten screenwriter repeatedly. But the thing about it is, I don't know, um, you mentioned it in the, the intro there, is that it's all the same actors over... I think everyone knows what Boyhood years, Yeah, I've been, I've been intrigued because it's shown up in all these top films of the year where they have to explain what the film yeah. is. I think if you've heard the word Boyhood, you know the gimmick. That Richard Linklater filmed with the same cast over. Yeah. For me, though, I just think in a couple of years' time, when the hype has died down a bit, it's going to become. Oh yeah, that was that film that was filmed over twelve years and had the same but actors. That's that's what the before Moonlight Sunrise Sunset yeah. films are as well. Like that, they are a gimmick, and and yet there's a real emotional heart in it too. And I I wrestled with my conscience over yeah. whether I was getting swept up in the hype of Boyhood and. I've only seen it once. I don't know if I, I, I would like to rewatch it and see whether it belongs in there. Again. For me, the female characters are much more interesting. Like Patricia Arquette plays the mother, 
and, and Richard Linklater's daughter as well Laura yeah Lai. but she said to her dad I actually don't want to be in this and you know in and out of it yeah. he was going to make the point of maybe making it about her or having her more involved in it and then it was like yeah. no we and he kind of the boy you see you're on the risk of okay he might be cute and a good child actor but at, at times when he gets a bit older I don't think he can he's not he's not any great shakes as an actor the thingy majiggy um, yeah. what was his name no idea that's how bad he is like he's for <laughs> Eli um, it is written down here you know whereas Patricia Arquette and his father um, were much more interesting and enjoyable and you kind of had while it is about a boy kind of going through his teen years you have had the mother because she has these different relationships and you know yeah and Patricia Arquette will I hope get an Oscar nomination yeah. for it like that would be the one that I'd, I'd want more than anything yeah also I love him so um, that would, I think, the one that would mean the most for the because it's as much an actor's film as it is anything. Cause that's an incredibly hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. Like if I get you to rewind, um, like fourteen years to where you were fourteen years ago, when I was and then imagine revisiting something every for two weeks in the summer and trying to find that kind of creative energy. Like yeah. it's hard enough to do that once, but to revisit it and not have huge holes in the thing. So I think the parents anchor that and manage to yeah manage to really make you feel like you're on that journey with them and everything. So, so um, it made it into your top ten, I think, but not mine. It did, yeah. But it was also in a lot of disappointment lists and everything. But um, one that we missed out was uh, another film that didn't make it into your list. Um, no, any of our lists, but we would, I think, well, I would, I think I give it five stars and it came out. Uh, Frank, directed by Lenny Abramson. It's not, uh, not a gimmick, though, no? Because he has a head, proper match a head. But it's kind of based on the, loosely based on Frank's side bottom. Who was kind of like a punk poet, crazy person um, in a band. And I think he had a bit of a TV show on Channel 4. And um, what's the name of the author who wrote the help? He writes this. John Ronson was also in the band. And kind of Donald Gleason is in this film. And he almost. John Ronson wrote this. Yeah. He almost plays kind of the John Ronson from the real life situation. And it's brilliant. It's great examination of kind of mental illness and creativity. And. Because there's a point in the film when Donald Gleason is trying to write a song and it's terrible and Frank has written all these kind of very weird songs but he just picks up a guitar and he can play this amazing tune on it and just writes a song in a second so it's like he can write great songs but he wants to go the avant-garde route and something a bit different and then Donald Gleason is a bastard and he's horrible he kind of pulls him into this world of commercialism and oddity novelty that he he doesn't belong to or doesn't want to be in and it's just a lovely kind of story arc and michael fassbender is frank who you only see for about five minutes towards the end because yeah. for the majority of he's under that uh, head i know it was also the most weird media campaign like every interview was like oh did frank was was michael under the hat all the time mm-hmm. like was he wearing the head they kind of had that thing as well of how do you publicize it because it was a great scam they pulled on people almost because from the trailer they made it look like a road wacky, movie yeah let them sunshine type wacky thing. comedy uplifting and it's, it's quite it's dark a, it's incredibly dark from those suicide yeah there's depression mental mm. health issues um but it's it actually you're like the central thing i hated donald gleason in it i found him really annoying like as an yeah. as an actor like i, I rank I rate him as an actor but his character maybe you're, you're meant to, to hate yeah, him yeah definitely whereas like the heart of it is entirely frank and like at the end it's heartbreaking like you know he's been chucked around and yeah and all that so um great soundtrack actually as well i don't know if you can buy it yet i think you can download or get it on cd but it'd be a good one to have on vinyl why would i get it on cd i don't have a cd player 
Oh, I do have a CD player in the van, actually. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Um, the other kind of independent film then that stuck alongside Boyhood, Frank, uh, uh, from the summer was Obvious Child, um, which again is in both our lists. I think we both have it in at number nine or ten in our personal yes. list, but it's and in it our joint top five. At number four. At number four. Very good. What else What have, do we have? At Nothing yet that we've talked about. Oh, or The Wolf of Wall Street. Sorry. Come hopped in at number two in number our joint two. one. So in yes. case anyone, we explained this in the post, but we... Um, Every year, we've done this for the past five, four, four years, we uh, sit down and we create a joint list, which we feel isn't yeah, necessarily make a joint. my favourite. Don't do It's not necessarily your favourite. Yes. But it's like a consensus. So like the Wolf of Wall Street, we both saw at the same time. We loved it, thought it was great. So like that obviously goes in, whereas yeah. you maybe would have put Boyhood, but I wouldn't. And Yeah, right. So, so, so it's a, we're just we're all having a laugh here. Like, so yeah. We love lists, not more lists. Lists. Yeah, not too many lists, though, where you can bring them out every month uh, or every week, you know. Best ones of the week. Yeah. <laughs> Top five posters of the day. Top five posters. Um, but anyway, Obvious Child is a an abortion comedy, in effect. Who would have thought that? Rom-com. An abortion rom-com. Where the laughs we had. Yeah, but I mean, I think it was a very progressive film in showing that this is a situation that a lot of women and couples find themselves in. It's a dilemma, and it's it and it's it's fine. Like you know, you can go yeah. either way. Like the idea of blacklisting that a word to not be part of a conversation or a dilemma yeah. in that we can cover everything else in films. Yeah. Like, um, and it's great. I'd say it creates a bit of controversy. If actually, I don't think many Irish people will see it, but like a hardcore, you know. Um, pro-life slash anti-choice yeah, she's so flippant she's very flippant yes. about it about <laughs> kind of making jokes but it's great like she's a stand-up comedian it's uh, Jenny Slate who people will know as John Ralphio's sister from Parks and Rec and it's directed by Gillian Robespierre um, one of the female directors who features on one of our uh, end of year lists and it's great and it's and it, and it is a love story in a romantic comedy because yeah, it's a pretty the person that she has the, yeah. the child who impregnated her uh Kind of comes back on the scene halfway through the film and towards the end, and but they totally could have copped out. Yeah, and rather than him save the day and cancel, it's just he is solid and he's there for, her and that's a nice kind of message yeah. to put into a film like this. So I was trying to think the other she day. She still is the boss. Yeah, what's She's the good. film they watch at the end? Is it Doctor Shvago or is it Casablanca? Or no, is it Gone with the Wind? I think it's a, I think it might be Gone with the Wind because it's really long. Because it's long, so and Doctor Zhivago is as well. But I was trying yeah. to figure out is it Gone with the Wind or? So it's a pr it's a very special and film. it's very funny. Yeah, I suppose you could argue the romantic part of it like is a little neat and tidy, but I kind of like that. You though. give films yeah. like this, and we'll talk about it maybe in a bit little of a while. The Skeleton Twins. You give them a little bit of leeway pass, to yeah. to be able to do that. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll play a bit of Paul Simon maybe. Sure. So yeah, we're kind of into the, you know, September, October time of life. Back to school. Yeah, and I suppose we'll kick off with Ida. It makes it into number three on our joint top list, and it's on my top ten. Is it in yours? No. Uh, no. 
So it's directed by <laughs> Paul. That's not to say I don't yeah. have great respect for it. It's directed by Paul Pawlowski. Uh, we caught this at the film festival. It was funded by the Polish um, embassy. Some embassy. Sort of embi- full of Polish people. Yeah. Yeah, and it kind of it, it kicked off a bit after it because um, I work with a couple of Polish people and. There is this thing in Poland still. What do you mean? You have a job outside of school. Yeah. Sorry. Didn't know that. And um, they kind of. Uh, there's a lot of a bad taste in Polish people's mouth about it's their like actions our... during World War Two. What did they do to the Jewish people? Did they just kind of give them up? Did they hide them? Turn a blind eye. Yeah. Yeah. And they've never really had, unlike other countries that have had a proper truth and reconciliation process. They're, you know, they're not so different to Ireland where, you know, yeah. you just sort of the wave is just c- kind of keep quiet mm. and like, oh, we'll forget about that. So Ida is a nun um, played by Agatha um, Kulza and she... Played by... I'm sorry. I'm pretty sure her name is Agatha T or... It's K-U-L-E-S-Z-A. No, that's Wanda. That's her... That's the aunt. Oh, sorry, sorry, we sorry. both have a cast this year. Can I try and pronounce Ida's actress's name? Go for it. Agatha Trzbokowska. Okay. And, and then her the aunt Wanda Agatha Kulska. Uh, yeah. So Ida's a bunch. interesting. Yeah. Oh my God, there must have been such laughs for, di- for, the, <laughs> for the director, Powell, Powell, Pawlowski, to be like, Agatha, no, not you, the other one. I'd say that was fierce banter, mm. doing the whole like black and white <laughs> nun drama. So uh, she's about to become a nun, and the other sisters say to her look you actually she thought she was adopted and just left the convent and it was like no you actually have a family and she goes and meets her aunt who's a lawyer and they go and find out what happened to their family and it turns into this kind of you know they were jewish she's actually jewish she's becoming a catholic nun but she's jewish and then she kind of has a crisis of conscience and it is shot fantastically and um it looks brilliant it's kind of i think it was shot in the old school 16 by four yeah four three black and white yeah <laughs> with subtitles and they have it's a, bit a hard of sell if you can yeah <laughs> they have a bit of fun with the subtitles sometimes where it appears above and in the middle and yeah. just like every shot almost looks like a fantastic black and white photograph um so it's well worth checking out and has been in a featured in a lot of lists like this may be the like the probably be the highest rated foreign film internet. perhaps Pro- probably in a lot of in a lot of end of year things. So I don't know if this is eligible for kind of Oscar consideration or when it actually came out in. Um, do you know that? No, like it, it came played, out in September, I think. Yeah, but like in a US release, um, a film received nomination at the seventy second Golden Globe for best foreign language film. When was the seventy second? That was oh yeah, honoring the best. Yeah, so it has a Golden Globe nomination for next year. Okay, so, so it could be it Oscar. will hopefully be in the mix. Yeah, sorry, that took a while. Yeah, uh, another film coming out at this time period, which is our du, 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 du. joint film of the year, The Guest. Yes. Uh, it was directed by Adam Wingard and stars Dan Stevens, who people will recognize perhaps from, from Downton, Downton Abbey. Abbey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great, this is like, as Nigel was saying earlier, it's one of those real genre films. Yeah. Kind of like oh horror. Can I play a bit? Of, can I mind if I just load up a little bit of the soundtrack? Kind of nineteen eighties, kind of like referencing. We'll just let it play in the background. That's the kind of mood. Yeah, yeah. Drew a lot of comparisons to Drive, but I thought it's not as good. As, like it's up it's there with Drive, but it's quite a different film. You know, it's ridiculous. The only reason I think you got comparisons to Drive is that Dan Stevens is kind of a, a both looking yeah. gosling like, and the music is a bit synthy. Yeah, it's very different. Like. But it's much more horror film, I thought. And I was kind of watching it. We both saw. But it's kind of separately, and being 
um, oh, please let this happen. And he says something, and you're just like, yeah, fantastic. It was kind of ticking all these boxes for yeah. people who are aware of the films. Like, it reminded me of the first Terminator film. It's quite funny, and it has good action, and then it has the classic horror ending and everything. I just thought yeah. it was fantastic. Yeah, like, Adam... Wingard is like brilliant. Like he's done your next, and he just ha- and the v- some bits in the VHS system. So he knows how to do this, like how to tick boxes of genre, like thrilling, exciting films. So um, yeah, this is one I can't wait to watch again, and yeah. um, and just kind of see how it kind of holds up because it was so exciting and so thrilling. And you're like, ah. it's kind of the one you hope in a couple of years' time the lighthouse will be shown at midnight. You know, yeah, it's kind of one of the future kind of cult classic for definite. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, like we've written a bit more about it uh, on the site. So it was good. Also from, um, we've talked a little bit about disappointments of the year. Um, September also had The Wish I Was Here, the Zach Braff film. Oh, yeah, I, n- a great I never soundtrack and managed to catch it, but it was more so on your recommendation by saying it was terrible. Yes, an anti-recommendation. So that's definitely one of my biggest disappointments of the year. Um, just because such a promise and someone coming back trying to like re- recapture a bit of this energy from a long time ago and it's just been really 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 disappointing yeah. um but no one went to see it anyway i think i think it f- kind of flopped it really it a kickstarter yeah. thing and kind of yeah. had a negative buzz from the start with the fact that he kind of went the kickstarter route and tried to make the money for it that way yeah. which people are very anti because the see kickstarters be should be like for me and you to go and fund a film not yeah, not an internationally renowned actor. Yeah. yeah. So I don't really know. Um, do you want to talk about your your favorite film of the year then? <laughs> your own personal one. Yeah. So like a shot. I got this in a WhatsApp message and was like, "What? Really?" Uh, so it's Magic in the Moonlight. Uh, it's directed by Woody Allen. It came out in September and stars Emma Stone and Colin Firth. Emma Stone is like a mystic in the 1920s in France. I think like they kind of come from America, but it's kind of set in France. And Colin Firth is also a magician, but he's kind of an old school Darren Brown in that he loves debunking mystics and people who have this kind of notion of otherworldness and spirits. And So it's a great kind of classic Woody Allen Fair 1920s romantic comedy between these two. And uh, yeah, I just I saw it by myself. I was telling Nigel... A lot of my top tens I seem to have seen by myself. So you just kind of get much more immersed in it. You're not, you don't care about anyone, and you're just a totally swept me away. And has a fantastic ending. I was just like, yes, brilliant. And I have deliberately not watched this because I thought it looked crap, and everyone else told me it was crap. But now I'm going to explore it and He's legally it bound and legally it. bound by it. Um, and does it not matter about Woody Allen and you know the <laughs> allegations? Stuff? You have that kind of thing, yeah, but. It doesn't. For, for me, this it's so messy, this whole thing with Woody Allen and his ex-wife. And it just, it's, yeah, it like people, I think maybe d- that's why it kind of didn't get as much press. Because it kind of came out at the same time. And uh, it kind of was feeding from Blue Jasmine up until this. But Emma Stone is fantastic. And I really hope she gets a best actress not. Yeah, she won't. But she might. But she won't. Um... Yeah, because it came, um, Mia Farrow and her son Dylan, didn't they have all that crap around the time of the Oscars where th- there was more revelations and stuff? And it's really hard because it feels like it's from, and it's it really feels like a case of your word against mine. Yeah. Um, Which is never a nice thing to do. And, no, and, and it was so public and so messy. Yeah, and, and who turned a blind eye to what and all this. So yeah. I, re- I think you hit the nail on the head there, though, that this came out just a little bit after that, and it was still very fresh in the mind and... 
Yeah. Unfortunately, didn't get the big push, and he didn't do too many interviews either. Yeah. So, we had another film um, from a renowned director, Maps to the Stars. I don't know if you caught this. It was Cronenberg's no. return to form. Incredibly dark, very funny. Um, starred Julianne Moore as a kind of failed actress. It was almost like whatever happened to Baby Jane type scenario. Very funny. Um, I didn't like his last film, where it was about a limo driver going around Metropolis or Cosmop Cosmopolis. Cosmopolis. I thought it was very bad, but this almost feels like the same kind of weird time period, or f- f- like almost like a two-parter. Um, mm. very funny, very dark, lots of uh, incestuous overtones and storylines to it. But um, yeah, certainly feels like it did work as a good double bill with another film that came out that time, Gone Girl. Also <laughs> very, very funny, very dark and sat like kind of satire or satirical kind of look at yeah at things in a way. And um, the David Fincher uh, adaptation of. Uh, the best-selling novel, um, that again, a lot of people, I, I love Gone Girl, gave it maybe great mark, uh, four and a half or something, um, but it's a comedy, that's the thing, it's absolutely yeah. farcical, hilarious comedy, and the fact that Ben Affleck, who's such a weird divisive actor, anyway, in terms of people think he just has a blank face, he's the perfect part um, in it, and um, loved it, like it's thrilling, playful, clever filmmaking, and again, proves that David Fincher is probably the best Donald Clark brought up an interesting thing in the Irish Times where it's very like can I, I was watching it and I knew a female had has written, Gone Girl been in money lists I haven't seen it in too much don't think so Yeah, it kind of it, it's written by a female but it's it's a credibly misogynistic film so then you're wondering does she think that's how men see women because it kind of is like all oh, women are all a bunch of crazy nut jobs yeah. and it kind of follows through with that logic and to me, it was quite jaded in some of its things. Like, that's the type of film it is. So I kind of find it hard to warm to it at times, you know. Mm-hmm. looks great and uh, fantastic. One of maybe the scenes of the year with uh, Nine Inch Nails. Or Trent Reznor did the music for it, did Yeah, he? yeah. When um, somebody from How I Met Your Mother is butchered. <coughs> Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah. Who Spoiler. is presenting the, oh, the Oscars, Oscars yeah. yeah, for next year, which is which so is kind good. of two war films, or you know, the topic of war and men and conflict situations come out seventy one and yeah. Fury. Yeah, October was a really solid month. I have my my October here yeah. in front of me, and I'm like, it's probably the best month. Um, but uh, yeah, seventy one had Jack O'Connell. It tells a story set in nineteen seventy one in Belfast, where he's a, known. a par- uh, British paratrooper um, guy who gets. They go out to an amazing scene. Like they, they go out to maybe interrogate people a little bit, but also just kind of like they're like a backup for the RUC who yeah. are trying to find where informants are, guns, yeah, and, and that's there. And then the RUC kind of disappear, and like I don't know, beautifully shot. Like the scenes of banging bin lids on the thing, and the, you just get a sense that like Belfast really was at war at that stage. Parts of it in Welf- West Belfast, like where walls are knocked down from houses, and it's like watching something from that was an amazing like scene in, Bo- in Bosnia. Yeah, fantastically yeah. shot. Like Jan Demond. Again, I'm not sure how to pronounce that. My apologies if uh, if Jan Demond is listening, but um, so beautifully shot. Like this is an amazing for I think a debut feature as well. Yeah. And um, Jack O'Connell is brilliant in it. He has had a tremendous year. Start up was a film that came out in february also shot in the maze prison in belfast but um it's kind of a prison drama ben mendelson's yeah. in it he's phenomenal in it and he's so like he's so young and he has such a he has such an energy about him like and he's a range like you know his yeah, diversity he's gonna feature in angelina jolie's film yeah unbroken unbroken and was in the 300 film as well so he uh 
amazing stuff from him. Um, and 71, I thought, really, and it hasn't shown up in many people. It had great music as well. David Holmes did the music for it. And it yeah, had that a Belfast kind of pulpy yeah. 70s. Uh, They've a better sense. Like, if you think about the, 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 the connection you feel with Northern Ireland after watching um, it and after watching um, the Terry Hooley film oh good um, vibrations good vibrations to la- last year yeah like you really i don't know i i've never felt that with any film i've ever watched about dublin in the 60s 70s or 80s yeah where you, the sense of time and place that people managed to evoke evoke from it it's brilliant so the other one then is um fury uh brad pitt tank drama war daddy yeah war daddy which uh i think is probably my most real <laughs> feeling to me, it, fe- it felt like a Vietnam film of World War Two, because mm. awfully like Saving Private Ryan, brilliant. World War Two is shiny usually. Yeah, films, brought great reality to it, but yeah. it, they were still all very noble. Whereas in seventy one, there's no nobility. These are just kind in of fury. In fury, sorry, yeah. they're just killing machines. Who they're in a tank. They're in like I made the point when I was doing the review that the Hell's Angels gangs in America started up based on World War Two vets who came home and couldn't really adjust to real society. Yeah, th- they, they know nothing else. So. And it's it's terribly grim and very violent. And I can't remember the director, you might be able to tell me, but he does that kind of macho David Ayer, yeah. group uh, situations fantastically. It also stars Shia LaBeouf and Logan Lerman, who featured in one of our films of the year a couple of years back. Yeah, uh, David Ayer has done, like he's worked on like End of Watch, uh, Training Day, uh, harsh times like he he yeah. he writes films about groups of men and he, but it kind of it does so. take that shine off um the the world war Two kind of story in a way yeah. very honest and i don't know how it and has a tarantino-esque scene as well when they when they stop off and have lunch with yeah. the two so very nice. surreal yeah no a heart like again almost like a horror film like that an actual horror film but again not really a horror film that came out at the end of October was The Babadook yes and um, I don't think we've any music from The Babadook but uh, no. it it is probably the best horror film of the year but again the good horror films this year that I connected with and was just scared shitless by it weren't actually it's stuff like 71 mm-hmm. Fury Under the Skin Under the Skin where it's something else where you get terrified and you're on the yeah. edge so the Babadook was Jennifer Kent, our second female director, kind of, and it stars uh, Ellie Davis and Noah Wiseman. It was a real old school horror film for like aficionados who are like, oh, it's not just jumpy stuff. It's more very psychological. It fear of child, psychological. Ch- children, single motherhood. On a literal level, yeah, the film mightn't stand up to too much. Like, is it that scary? But it's very abstract. The I think picture. towards the end, there's a debate. Yeah. I don't know if we can do a spoiler. Spoiler: If you haven't seen Babadook, maybe turn off, turn off for a couple of seconds. To me, at the end, she does kill her child because that final scene where it's insanely brightly lit and mm. he does this amazing magic trick with a dove. And I was like, where'd you get that dove from? You didn't actually do that. And like a dove is a symbol of peace. So I think the two of them are at peace because she has killed him and probably killed herself because it kind of foretells of the fact that she's mm. going to kill her child. And then you're terrified for the whole film. That is she going to kill her? And for the whole film, it's in t- it's it's like an Australian film and it's really grey it's got a great palette of lack of color and everything so then the end for me i was like this is fantasy this is a dream sequence you know yeah and i i took it i know i know that theory but i took it a different way that it was simply her reaching a reconciliation and a piece where she opened up and acknowledged that 
she had been depressed and had seek treatment and I'd like to think of it as a happy ending. Yeah. Um, but, but it's like, like, it's so rare yeah. that there's something like that that you can, that's left open to interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, so a phenomenal like film and on so many levels, like on a literal level, pretty, pretty scary. The kid, like he, he's pretty freaky, but there's so many deeper things in terms of like mental health there again, yeah. that will really terrify you, make mm. you scared of interacting with children, <laughs> having yeah. children. Yeah. Being a child, touching a child, um, uh, yeah. So it's the real, <laughs> the real horror of being a parent is basically yeah. what the film's about. So, um, yeah, it was a solid. That was October. Like I actually, I think that was. We also had other stuff in there, mm. like Nightcrawler and Interstellar, that we're not even going to talk about because they were kind of like whatever. Mm. Um, November, I'm going to kick off with a bit of music from uh, the Skeleton Twins, if that's okay. This is a, a slightly lighter-hearted film again about depression and mental health, <laughs> but um, this had my favorite uh, lip sync. <laughs> moment of the year so Jefferson Starship, nothing's gonna stop us now. Beautiful scene from it. Um, you reviewed this first, directed by Craig, Craig Johnson, Johnson. Yeah. starring Bill Hader and um, Kirsten Wig, who are like SNL cast members. They're legendary, ca- yeah, yeah. As in, they're up there, like kind Will of Fred Arneson from this era. With, uh, the w- w- sorry, w- Will Ferrell, yeah, all that kind of Amy Poehler, Tina Fey, like of the last. 20 years mm. they're, they're incredible and, and you can tell that when you're watching the film it's um, Bill Hader is, it starts with him trying to commit suicide he fails his sister who is played by his twin sister his twin sister uh, is contacted and be like yeah your brother tried to kill himself but he's okay so she goes and he's like fuck I'm fine so she takes him back to her hometown like it seems to be upstate New York kind of and he was living in LA trying to be an actor but he hadn't become an actor yeah, he and left the town in mysterious. We it so takes him a while yeah. to reveal why these two twins who were so close mm. left. Like their father died. Yeah, and maybe that was part of it. And he seemed to be the kind of crazy, good, fun one, and the mother is horrible. There's mm-hmm. great characters in it. Like um, she's married to um, one of the Wilsons, Owen Wilson. He's kind of the fantastic nice guy. But Luke she Wilson. Luke Wilson. Sorry, she's fantastic. One of the Wilsons. You're horrible. Nice and she just can't stand him and she keeps going and having affairs and you think Bill Hader thinks her life is fantastic but she keeps you find out she's just as depressed and miserable as him so it's great like brother sister relationship story I think and again very funny there's a scene when as you said the lip sync scene but when they're doing nitrous oxide because uh, she works as a dental nurse <coughs> so they're doing laughing gas and it's hilarious it's just brilliant when you see that 
closeness and that chemistry between them, it's just it's fantastic. Yeah, it's all a little tidy, but again, Towards you give it a bit of leeway. Yeah, uh, we didn't talk much about kids' films this year, which um, I think the two that stand out that are going to be on most people's lists are the Lego movie from earlier in the year um, and Paddington, which came out at the end of November. Uh -huh. um, both brilliant, both Fantastic. Good. Lego movie was the people behind uh, 22 Jump Street. Yeah. And you could they had that great humour and really off jokes and Batman was played by that guy from... Will Arnett. Will Arnett. Yeah. It was fantastic. It was very, very funny. And then came out nowhere. Yeah, and then Paddington kind of has that British, like, spiffing job, kind of Harry Potter warmth yeah. to uh -huh. it, but also plenty of heart and everything as well. Which and kookiness really nice. as well, because I think it was directed by the director of The Mighty Boosh. Yes, someone. <laughs> yeah, so it kind of has those wee odd moments in it and very funny. Obviously, we saw the edited version with all the hardcore sex cut out of it. Uh, yeah, well, I still don't know what that. I think it was the gay joke at the start that maybe. What was the gay There's joke? a very funny joke where the explorer goes into Peru, right, and discovers the aunt and uncle, and he was like, "I gave them names," and he was like, "I named the aunt after my ex-wife, and <coughs> I named the uncle after this lovely Mexican wrestler chap I met in a bar one time," you know, and you're kind of like, "Oh, that's pretty funny." Um, so there's kind of, and apparently it was when. Downton Abbey person dressed up as a woman. That classic British thing of, you know, woman in oh, drag. Yeah. Which, again, is a very funny segment. So, yeah, it's brilliant. looks fantastic. You weren't kind of bowled away by the bear, but I thought... You kind of loved the bear. Yeah, I was only trying to find, you know, holes. That's a four, four and a half star kind of film. It's, yeah. it's brilliant. And what a surprise, like, if I told you that... Genuinely, if I told you the two best kids films of the year would be a film about Lego and a film about Paddington Bear, like, you... Yeah, that would not have been uh, predictable. That would have been a surprise if I told mm -hmm. you twelve months ago. You know, so we'll kind of round up we with with some documentaries and mockumentaries. First of all, documentaries. We had the case against the eight, which will come into uh, Irish prominence maybe next year when we have the referendum on marriage equality. So it's kind of set in America against uh, a lesbian couple. The eighth Amendment, isn't a it? Gay couple. It was um, Proposition Eight. And when they were, uh, what do you call it, when Obama was elected in California, they also had a vote where same-sex marriage was not recognized. When he was elected president, they had a, 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 vote a referendum. Well. Yeah, okay. and it passed. So then all these gay marriages were then technically null and void. So you had this um, legal challenge to Proposition 8, and you have a gay couple and a lesbian couple. And the the kind of selling point was that you had a, both a Republican lawyer and a Democrat lawyer who had fought against each other in the case where it was Al Gore versus George Bush oh with yeah. that whole Florida fiasco. The, sh the shards. Yeah. Chards. So those two lawyers came together to fight this case and ultimately they win. And it's a brilliant film to watch and it's so relevant to Ireland at the moment because you're kind of looking at these people and you're just like yeah it's not on it's bullshit like you know why can't they get married and i think if you watched this i'd be very hard pressed for you not to think that it should be legalized yeah um the other documentary then my favorite documentary of the year was one million dubliners which we talked about came out at halloween documentary about glass nevin cemetery it's an irish film from Aoife kelleher um it's fantastic that's all. Like again, we we talked about it quite a bit at this yeah. stage, and if you haven't seen it, Try it was not on to television. Look up too much about it, yeah. yeah, it was on TV. The um, DVD is on sale, and the DVD Christmas. is on sale. Yeah, so like no excuse. And so. then the mockumentary is what we do in the shadows. Very funny vampire mockumentary from uh, Jermaine Clement and Tika Wife, who do or uh, Taka Watiti, who were involved with Flight of the Concords, and it's yeah, I thought it was very funny, kind of nice one, end of the year. Kind of disappeared, didn't get too much of a buzz, but um. 
yeah. it's still there. It plays out late at night in the Lighthouse Cinema. Yeah, the only other one that I want to chat about very quickly, uh, we saw there a little while ago, Stations of the Cross, which yes. is our other non-film f- non of the year, yeah. uh, which, uh, I don't know, it's... It was, what, what, like the gimmick, not a gimmick is a negative word. The, the selling point was it that it's divided into 12 chapters, um, the Stations of the Cross, and he, the director doesn't move the camera for each of the... Pretty crosses. much, yeah. He moves it, I think, three times. Yeah, he, it he was the easiest like gig ever for the for the editor, for the editor, and the hardest gig ever for actors because yeah. it's one like long take, six and seven minutes. Fantastically acted and kind of yeah, yeah, a, a German film. Yeah, and Leviathan. Maybe if I just, just stick in another foreign film, it was a Russian film. I hope it gets some Oscar buzz. I think it's still currently banned in its own country. But it's great kind of man standing up against the oligarchies of Russian society and it's fantastic performance, it's very eerie and it's that classic kind of foreign film where you're kind of like, not much is going on, the performance is great and then slowly it all just comes together and, and melts. Yeah, Leviathan has shown up in quite a lot of lists. Anyway, we better wrap up. This has been a really, 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 really long podcast. Lots of bits of music. So, yeah. um we have a song of the year then that we should kind of finish? Well, if we w- run through our, so our top five, you might have picked it out as you were listening. We have The Guest as number one. The Wolf of Wall Street as number two. Ida as number three. Obvious Child as four. And The Babadook as number five. Brilliant. So, Very good. Um, so yeah, and we've had loads. Of, like, Go on the site, obviously, if you haven't um, seen that. Let us know what you think of our lists and if you want to send us on your own. Um, sure well, no, it's to too late to send one. I don't want them. But you can put them somewhere. Comment we'll on them on Facebook. We'll like it or unlike yeah, it. Exactly. Or delete you. Uh, this is uh, by the Arcade Fire. It's called Deep Blue. Thanks very much for listening all through the year. And uh, Bye bye. Happy New Year. Here, in my place and time. And here are my own skin.